So this morning we're going to be in Exodus 17, specifically verses 6 through 18. Uh, Before we jump into that, I want to give you guys a little bit of a background from verses 1 through 7. So in this passage is directly following, uh, you know, last week where we talked about uh, the Israelites leaving Egypt, you know, the actual event of the Exodus, leaving Egypt. And we open up in in, uh, chapter 17, and we see that they've come to this land uh, where it's supposed to be this resting place in the desert. And they get to this place, and, you know, they start asking some questions, you know, Moses, dude, there's no water here. Okay, who has ever gone on a hike and forgot their water bottle? <laughs> Been there? It's, it's not a fun experience. So imagine you are completely leaving you know, the place that you have lived for the past couple hundred years, and you get to where you've been going, and Moses is saying, you know, this is, this is going to be great. You know, God is delivering us from this you know, trial that we've been going through. And you get there, and you're like, dude, we've got nothing to drink. What's going on? We're, we're, we're going to uh, die of thirst out here. And that's what the people were saying. They're coming to Moses saying, you know, you've led us to this land where there's, there's no water. We are going to die out here. What are you going to do? It, it says in the passage that Moses was so afraid of the people that he thought they were going to stone him to death. See, what the people didn't realize in this passage, like we talked about last week, the people were being led by divine providence. It was not by chance that they were at this spot. You know, last week, uh, we talked about, you know, how the Israelites, they, you know, they followed during the day this cloud and at night a pillar of fire. You know, I don't understand how, how you could, you know, be following something so amazing, and then you get to this place, and you're like, Moses, this is your fault. You brought us here, and now there's no water. I don't think Moses was able to make a pillar of fire or a cloud in the sky that they were able to follow. But the beautiful thing about this passage is that it doesn't end there. It says Moses called this place Massah and Meribah, which literally means of testing and tribulation. This is a time of trial for these people. But God did not abandon them. We see in the passage that God commanded Moses to strike a rock with a staff, and then from this rock, water flowed out plentiful enough for all the people. So they've come out of this you know, struggle of being in slavery. And time and time again in this journey, they have seen God deliver them. That is an amazing picture. That whatever trial or struggle that these people were facing, God was with them. So I want us to open up uh, in Exodus 17, verse 8. And this passage says, let me find it. Uh, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Or another translation says, and now Amalek came and brought war to Israel in Rephidim. These people have, you know, just finally got water. You know, they, they're finally at this resting place in the desert. The word Rephidim in Hebrew literally means a sanctuary in the desert or an oasis in the desert. So they aren't just camped out, you know, around the, you know, dirt and rocks, but they're at this place of sanctuary and peace. And then out of nowhere, they're attacked. How often is it that we feel like that in our life? Graduates, you may be about to experience this. You know, this weekend, you know, it's such an amazing feeling. Like, oh, I'm, I'm done with high school. I never have to go into that building again. I'm done with teachers. If you're planning to go to college, good luck. It's not done yet. If you have thought finals were bad so far, 
just wait. If you're going into the workforce, you may be thinking, well, I've graduated, but, but now what? I don't have a job. I don't know what direction I'm going. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. It feels like an enemy, you know, you finally got a break and the enemy is attacking you. But there's an encouragement in this passage, too, that this is not where it ends. So reading through this, uh, the question is, you know, who is the people of Amalek? It seems like this, this is this, uh, this enemy that comes out of you know, seemingly nowhere. Why, why are they attacking Israel? Why is there this hatred uh, for Israel? Does anyone know the story of Jacob and Esau? So I want you guys to just think about this for a little bit. You know, Esau and Jacob were the sons of Isaac. Just a quick summary, Esau comes in from the field, and he says, I'm famished, I'm so hungry that I'm about to die. And so his brother Jacob, you know, says, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you this pot of stew, but you have to sell me your birthright. For the guys who don't, ladies and guys who don't know that, uh, the birthright in this period of time means your inheritance. And it, it is more valuable to them, the birthright of the firstborn, than anything that the parents could give them. You know, and Esau agrees to this. You know, it says, you know, you know I'm, I'm so hungry, I'm going to give away my birthright as, as the firstborn for a pot of stew. And later on in this passage, you know, see when, when their father Isaac is on his deathbed and says his time is nearing to an end, uh, that Jacob disguised himself as Esau and tricked Isaac into blessing him with what was rightfully Esau's. Esau declares that he's, he's going to kill Jacob and chases him away. Later on in Scripture, in Genesis, I believe it's Genesis 24, I could be wrong, don't quote me on that, um, there's a temporary period of reconciliation uh, between Jacob and Esau, but Scripture uh, lends itself that this was not permanent. So he's saying, what does this matter with the Amalek's attacking, attacking the Israelites? How does this tie in at all? So we see Jacob son of Isaac, is blessed with the birthright from the line of Abraham. And then Esau, who has abandoned it, even further to the point where he married a Canaanite woman, which would basically eliminate him from the line of Abraham. So he has abandoned his birthright. The line of Jacob would one day become the nation of Israel, while the line of Esau would become the Amaleks. So this isn't just some attack out of nowhere. There is a reason for hatred. So I watched, actually this is probably a couple of weeks ago, watched reruns of the Hatfield and McCoy's uh, special they showed on, I think it was History Channel. That was pretty intense. So imagine that type of family feud, but now it's grown to the point where it is entire nations that are involved. Guys, the enemy that is going to attack us has a reason to hate us. You may be thinking, well, what have I done to deserve this? Guys, the enemy that we face, Satan, has every reason to hate Christ because he goes against every single thing that Christ stands for. So reading on uh, in verse 9, verse 9 uh, says, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. So this is the first time in Scripture we've seen Joshua. 
For those who are familiar uh, with the history of the Israelite nation, you know that Joshua will one day become a great leader, a great speaker, and a great warrior. But at this time, he's just a young man trying to prove himself. I have been in that position, believe me. I can't tell you time and time again that I've been having conversations uh, with my parents uh, just about, you know, I, I think I'm ready to, to take this, this next step in this job opportunity. Or I'm, I'm ready to, to go and start, start pursuing this opportunity. And I may not have been, been ready for it, but I was trying to prove myself. I was ready for that point. And something else I want us to pick, uh, point out in this passage, Joshua is able to pick the men he is going to be fighting the enemy with. Students, this is to you guys. For, for most of your life, if you've grown up in the same area, gone to the same school, do you know you've been surrounded by the same group of people, right? You know, more or less, a lot of the friends that you've had have been picked for you, or the people that you're going to hang around have been picked for you. you know, in this battle that you're going to face, in these trials and struggles that you're going to face, I want to encourage you guys, pick who is going to battle with you, because it is going to make all the difference. Pick who is going to surround you. You know, are you going to want people, you know, standing with you who, when the time comes, when the struggle comes, they're going to abandon you? Or do you want to be with warriors of the faith, people who are going to stand firm in Christ and say, you know what, I know what I believe, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to be there for you, and we're going to get through this. And that's what Joshua has the opportunity to do here. You know, this is Israel's first time leaving Egypt that they've come into a military battle. So they have no clue what they're going to face. You know, Joshua doesn't have uh, you know, the knowledge of you know, who is good at uh, fighting uh, in this battle, who, who has this many victories, because this is the first time that as a nation they've gone uh, to war since leaving Egypt. He, he doesn't know any of that. So all he has to decide on is, you know, can I trust these people? Are these the people who I want to stand with? Students, I want that to be an encouragement to you guys. You know, if, you're, if you are planning to uh, you know, go into college, you know, having, having those around you, peers around you who are going to encourage you are going to be one of the best things you can have. Because so I can tell you, when it gets to those times when you're in those long nights of studying for finals, or maybe you don't really feel like opening that textbook, you'd rather go and hang out with the friends, you know, having those friends who are going to encourage you and say, you know what, don't give up just yet. Keep pushing through it. I know you can do this. Those are going to be people you want surrounding you. you know, and you end up in that college class where the professor challenges you and says, you know what, I don't believe in God. I never have. Prove me wrong. You know, it is going to make the world of difference when you have peers that can stand with you and say, you know what, we know what we believe. If you're going into the workforce and you know you have a boss that says, you know what, I want you to work every single Sunday. I don't care if you want time off for church. I'm not going to allow it. I, I don't believe in that. I don't stand for it. You know, you're on your own with that. Guys, this is going to make a world of difference if you've surrounded yourself with people who are going to stand firm in their faith with you. So we see that Joshua selected those who was going to stand with him. See, it also mentions in this passage the rod of God. 
What this is talking about is uh, the staff of Moses. So if you remember from Exodus 4, where basically God commands Moses to take this and perform signs. So this is also an encouragement that by no means does any of what's happening in this passage uh, later on come from you know, the power of Joshua or the power of Moses, but it's solely from God. Guys, in this trial is that we are going to face, students and adults, there's nothing in our own power that we can do to defeat the enemy, to defeat Satan, but only on the power of God. So reading uh, forward a little more uh, into verse is, uh, 10 through 11. It says, And it so was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one side and on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Parents, I want you guys to listen to what this is saying here. It says, you know, as long as Moses was lifting up his hands, as long as Moses was lifting up these men who were in battle in prayer, as long as he was praying over them and lifting up to the Lord in worship, they were victorious. But any time that he would let down his hands, any time he was no longer lifting up these men in prayer to God, they were losing. You may ask, well, you know, my, my child, they're, they're grown now. They, they they're, could be leaving the house. They could be going to school. What's my role? What role do I play now in this? I may not see them all the time. I may not be able to be there for them like I have been. What, what role do I have in this? Guys, it is to be in prayer. We may not always know the struggles that our students are facing, that our children are facing, but what we can always do is lift them up in prayer, just as Moses was doing here for the people. You know, it's, it's an encouragement uh, in my own personal life that I've known that I've had family and friends and mentors who have been praying for me because I know that there's opportunities or circumstances in my life that I've been through that without that, I wouldn't have been able to get through it. Circumstances that I wouldn't have been able to say, you know what, I think that I can do this with God's help. And the only reason I was able to say that was because I knew I had people that were praying for me and were supporting me. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Guys, I want that to be our goal. As a church family, as parents, as mentors, let's pray without ceasing for these students, not just the ones graduating, but the ones that are still here. You know, each and every day that they're walking through the halls and going to their classes or going to their jobs, why don't we pray that they are an example to those around them? Why don't we pray that in each and every struggle, they can run to the Lord for comfort? You know, I've heard it said, I can't remember who, who said the quote, uh, but for someone who, who hasn't been exposed to the gospel, us living like Christ is all of Jesus they will ever see. Let's, why don't we pray that our students continually strive to live like Christ? Wouldn't it be such an amazing thing, students, if you knew that you were living so much for Christ, so much on fire for Christ, that those around you didn't even have to ask, well, are, are they a Christian? Do they go to church? Are they a believer? They would just know. 
that you had such a joy and a passion about yourself, the way you would treat people, the way you would humbly serve people, the way you would care for others, that they would just say, I know there's something different about that person. I want that. How can I have that? How can I be like that? And guys, that is your perfect opportunity to say, well, let me tell you. It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that I've accomplished. It's nothing that you could ever do or accomplish, but it comes solely through the love of Jesus. It comes only through his sacrifice on the cross for us. But parents, there's a second part of that verse. It says, Moses' hands began to grow tired and let them down. Parents, whether you faced it now or it's coming, there will be a time when you grow weary. You may say that now with kids saying, well, I get tired just when asking them to clean their room. Dad, I'm sorry. (laughs) Guys, there will be a time when you grow weary and you say, God, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep praying every single day, day in and day out, and not seeing anything happen. I don't know if I can keep this up. It's been years and years and years and years. How do I know if anything is actually being accomplished? Adults, parents, Moses gathered others around him to lift him up. Two people specifically, Aaron and her. So he had with him family and friends. Not just the people that he sees every single day, not just his immediate family, but also his church family, those who he would worship with. Parents, you guys don't have to be in this alone. If you are growing weary, if you are growing tired, you have a church family that loves you and supports you. Don't feel like you have to go through anything alone. In the good times or in the bad But also this, you know, it says Aaron and her lifted Moses up and placed him on a rock to sit on and lifted up his arms. What rock are you placing yourself on? What foundation are you placing yourself on? Now, I want you guys to think about that, not to answer out loud or raise your hand or anything, but just, just be thinking, what rock am I placing myself on? What rock am I using as the foundation to lift up my friends? To lift up my family, lift up my children, lift up my students, my coworkers. What rock am I placing myself on? You know, it's an encouragement to read that Matthew 7, 24 through 25 quotes Jesus saying, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. Guys, this is my encouragement to you guys this morning. Build your house on the bedrock of Jesus. Build your life on the foundation, on the rock that is Jesus. For even when you are growing weary, you're growing tired. Students, you as well, when you're facing these struggles and you're growing weary and you're growing tired, you will have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. I want to share with you guys a little bit about my, my personal uh, testimony. Some of you have got to hear this, some of you haven't. Uh, but I think it's very applicable to what we're talking about, students, with gathering those around you to support you. So those of you who, who know me and who have 
heard this, you know that from my sophomore to junior year in high school, I was not always involved with the best group of friends. I was not always involved with the best group of people. Now, I, I had times where it would, it would literally be the, the plan on the weekend wasn't just to, to hang out uh, or to socialize with each other. The entire plan for the whole night was just to get as drunk as possible. And you know, going through that, you know, when I'm in that, during that experience, during those, those circumstances, you couldn't tell me that I was doing something wrong because I, I was living it. I didn't know. You know. The people that I was surrounding myself with, the people that I was facing my battles with said this was okay and this was normal. And this is what being a, this is what being a high schooler was about. You know, this is what it was all about, was going out and having fun and we didn't have to worry about anything else. But little did we know that we were damaging ourselves and we were hurting ourselves. You know, it, it wasn't until that you know, I was getting ready to leave to go uh, you know, to another uh, party with friends that uh, my dad actually opens up you know, the back of my car and, and finds all the alcohol sitting in the back of my car that I'm thinking, oh man, this is it. I am never going to leave the house again. Um, I can go ahead and say goodbye to any type of college or future or job or family because I'm just going to be locked in the basement for the rest of my life. I know we've got like steel beams in the basement uh, down there and I'm pretty sure Dad can find like chains and locks and bungee cords or something. I'm never leaving. You know, part of our house being built when it was, every single thing in the house and the frame is built with steel. I'm not getting out of there. But it was the response that they had that made the difference. I didn't have people that were going to beat me down. I didn't have people that were going to say, you know what, you've made this choice, it's terrible, there's nothing you can do to ever recover from this. That's not what happened. I was surrounded by people that said, you know what, we love you and we care for you and you're gonna get through this. It's gonna get better. You know, the decisions you have for your life, the choices you have for your life, it doesn't have to stop here. You know, I had a dad, I had a mentor, I had a youth pastor, all guys that were willing to just gather around me and pray for me and say, you know what, we, we don't know exactly what happens here or where we go from here, but we are with you on this and we are going to get through this. And we did. And it was such an amazing experience that I had these people that were willing to surround me and pray for me and lift me up in prayer that eventually that led to me saying, you know what? I can do that for other people. You know, God has put a call on my life that I can share with them. Just as people were able to do that for me, I can do that for other people. Guys, it's all about who you surround yourself with. Who do you want you to fight your battles? Parents, who do you want to give you support. When the struggle really starts, when you really start to get weary, who do you want to surround you? Students, parents, anyone that's here, you don't have to you know, be a parent or a student. If you're here, I just want to ask you guys this, what is your foundation set on? Are you setting your foundation on the world and the good time you can have or how much money you can make or this next job promotion or are you setting your foundation on the rock that is Jesus? 
And we see at the end of this uh, passage, reading through the last little bit, it says in verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the sun. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Reading that, in the near view, we see quite literally that the battle was not done with Amalek. You know, the nation of Israel would end up fighting these people time and time again. King Saul and King David both would have battles with these people. But looking at it from a prophetic perspective or a perspective that applies to us, as the enemy will attack us over and over and over again. But God is not done defending you just once. God is not done just supporting you in your battles just once. And it says God will defeat the enemy for our sake time and time again. What a beautiful picture that is. In 1 John 5, 4, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We serve a God that is so powerful and so loving that whatever struggles we face in the world, whatever trials the world can throw at him, he says, you know what, I got this. You, you think that, that little thing will phase me, will, will break me? I made it. Who are you to say that I can't overcome that? I literally made it. Good luck. And, but let that also be an encouragement to us, that the very God who made all of creation made each and every one of us lovingly, says, you know what? I love you, and I've got you, and I'm going to take care of you. 